involved in um, trying to develop our <coughs> sensitivity through the <coughs> qualities of feeling out what touch is about, being touched, uh, the responsiveness there, coming into our bodies more fully, um, where they are, their living, um, effective, dynamic sense, and what the kind of responses that arise, um, reactions and responses that arise um, whenever we're contacted with the mental emotive effects, the, the sense of um, charge or retraction or um, uplift or you know, downlift, <laughs> going down or, or numbness. <coughs> So I feel this is helpful on both the physical and the mental level is uh, the whole effect of, of ignorance and <coughs> is one of things closing down, shutting down of sensitivity, uh, presence, here and now presence and direct contact we often deal with abstractions, generalizations, uh, concepts, uh, supposed to's, should be's, and so on. We live very much in this world trying to arrange our lives according to this particular level of reality, the conceptual and the obligatory and the hopeful and the supposed and the inferred and the assumed. So much so that we, we begin to think this is the real thing. Or if we don't even think it's the real thing, we're, we're wired up to it. So we may be in the frustration position of knowing it's not the real thing, and yet, and yet our whole emotive system is, is triggered um, to operate according to these uh, conceptual and assumptive um, messages, what, you sh- what one should be, what one will be, what we imagine other people think we are, <coughs> how we how we project ourselves, how we project others, becomes things that really affect us very deeply. (coughs) So trying to come into this uh, actual specific embodiment experience um, to come to a, a here and now awareness of what really is going on. Some of this will be the repercussions and the afflictive effects of ignorance, of not see, not being in the right place, of, mal, of maladjustment, where we feel perhaps contracted, tight, tense, dull, numb, you know, uh, hyper, overcharged, and so on. And the emotive state, states. You know, Volatile, vulnerable, um, indifferent, mm-hmm. and the various uh, hindrances that occur around all that. So, 
the using this body um, system and trying to open all that up. with the sense of <coughs> remembering thatness which moves towards feeling healed, feeling settled, the ending of suffering. <coughs> so this is, this is quite a natural inclination, the uh, ending of suffering, wish to end suffering. Uh, we might say that the body does that. It automatically starts fixing itself, healing itself when it gets sick. Um, starts doing it, uh, does it continuously, tirelessly until it loses vitality. <coughs> the mind tries to do that, but often doesn't. It's got so out of it, uh, so um, displaced, it doesn't really know how to do it anymore. Uh, so. The healing in the mind is not such a natural um, and, and involuntary effect, involuntary quality. There's that wish to do so, but um, the mind is confused. So we sometimes are aiming to fix the wrong thing, or to move too fast, or to, or to not even acknowledge the dis-ease. So in, in the, it's very helpful to train the body, train the mind, by bringing it very fully into the body and recognize the vitality or the um, healing quality of the, of, of the body itself, bodily vitality, how it settles and calms the mind, how it brings it out of panic or dullness or fear or contractedness or ill will. Not We don't do anything particularly with our mind except attend something that is uh, is in line with the healing instinct and it starts to happen naturally In terms of the mind, we take refuge, which is the act of establishing um, a certain sanctuary. We call it a sanatorium, <laughs> or a place to get sane in. Yeah. Uh, the sanatorium is always a, a nice pure air, uh, top of mountains, and pure air, and so forth. So. Uh, Refuge is rather like like that, uh, just being in, in a pure pure land for a while, <coughs> where <coughs> we establish a, a, a quality of good forces coming towards us, uh, Buddhas, uh, Devas, uh, good energies, just sitting within that, uh, and then these, are, if you like things we can visualize or personify, being in their presence, being with that. More the 
Theravada approach is much more on the mental factors, such as uh, one's virtue, one's uh, sila, one's uh, good karma, one's kalyanamita, um, or the example, or the example of the Buddha. Um, so, but which is actually perhaps more, more in some ways, more accurate, um, literally, but. Very often, very often medit- in, for meditative purposes, it can be, it can be extremely helpful to to you know, visualize or because you get or feel out, so you get something that's a little more tangible than conceptual because of the problems with the conceptual attention, so um, charged and programmed and distorted, which is kind of always visualizing or uh, conce- or imagining being in the presence of that which is blessed or bestowing or generous or supportive, sitting with that as if you're being regarded by that or held by that or dwelling with that. This is what our devotional practices are are there to give us um, key figures, motifs, Buddha absolutely pure with ocean-like compassion um, bestows blessings on me. (coughs) And the many, many phrases that we run through in a day and perhaps um, fail to consider or not given the encouragement to pick up and, and, and and turn over in our minds and see if we can um you melt them down from just conceptual into more emotive um, resonances. <coughs> so, the devotional practice is you take these things at that particular level of um, you know, something which, which sets up a heart reaction or heart response something that connects you to the triple gem, which is bestowing, bestowing blessings on me, um, on me specifically, particularly today, now. (laughs) Whereas if we, you know, refer to these chants in purely literal conceptual mode, it tends to give us a sense of perhaps being separate from the triple gem, like the Buddha is way out there, you know, Sangha, lofty, Aryans, way out there, you know, way beyond me, dead people, where's all that? You know, we can take it all literally, or the Buddha so pure he wouldn't want to bother with a little snivelling idiot like me. Unworthy and so on. So, but really trying to use these things for the purposes that they're intended is to, to connect us, to make us sh- help to share. We're doing puja, gathering together in, a, in this particular uh, monastery and retreat, and make quite a big thing out of, of really everybody getting together for for puja you know, with with whatever we're carrying. You know, you know just the sense of really. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, you're in, and uh, and there's that sense of which you know 
still still connecting to the triple gem as as an action and a, and something we put effort into, sort of walking in here and getting up and so forth. Because it's so it seems to be so primary. The more I understand the practice and the uh, less and less wisdom that I have <laughs> as the years go by. And the less and less know-how, and the more is that feeling of uh, to connect to that, that good place and let tune in with that, and let that bring the energy that, that can help to to make me a bit to make me sane, rather than having it all figured out. And this is what I need to do. <coughs> so the primary action for the mind is, is taking refuge. <coughs> Sometimes when you <coughs> go and stay with the teacher, is it a teacher? <coughs> probably recognise it's hardly that they've got something incredibly different or new to say. There may be some slightly different takes on it, or some phrases. But the most important thing about it, I think, for most of us is the sense of just being with someone who you feel um, is in that place, coming from that place, and something in you tunes into that. It helps you to bring you back into that place of um, the refuge place. The teacher, in a way, is, is a doorway or a gateway to the refuge. Rather than a bestower of information, although you know that's part of it, but very often you find that many things are kind of the same and you know maybe slightly different, but really it's, it's not information; it's presence that counts. Now, if we really do take refuge and develop it and encourage it, then a lot of you know, the most ground for the hindrance is, is cut away. The um, agitation, the anxiety. The carelessness, the negligence. Because you know, we're in a very a beautiful place, special place, where you want to Really, be aware and, and with it. You don't. So, if your modality or your your mode about yourself is one of I don't really care very much. And this that is all right, I suppose. Feeling, then you don't bother to keep the place really, really clean, you know, really bright, really fresh. It's just sort of tacky old bedsit, as it were. Instead of a, a, a splendid sacred realm, so it gets a bit dog-eared and unloved. So the hindrances grow like mold and mildew, you know, coming from the sense of neglect and negligence, and not necessarily tremendously poisonous ill will, so much as a as a absence of 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 heart. Part of this is halfway out the door already. Really, 
refuge means you have to be, as the Buddha said, being your own refuge, be a refuge to yourself. It's not, you know, saying egotism or it means re- taking that in, embodying it, making your own body, your own mind, your own thought process, uh, placing that in, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful place where it, it counts and it matters. And just to be able to bring up a beautiful thought or kindly thought is lovely, it's like offering, making an offering to a shrine, doing something like that. You can enjoy the quality of kusala, kusala dhammas. You don't just think you have to do. They're 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 enjoyable. So this is, is the basis. Uh, mindfulness is based upon this, this foundation. Mm. And the sila, the refuge, uh, the kusala, kusala citta, the wholesome heart. And it's got a grounding mm. where we're not long in a hurry uh, or um, negligent. Mm. seems to me this is one of the main things that, that establishes the spaciousness of mindfulness. <coughs> we can, we've got, uh, um, because we have a place to stand and a place to live in refuge, we don't grab hold of things, the thoughts and the moods, in, in, in such a narrow or tight or compulsive way. We've got our own place. Uh, we're all right, it's all right here. So then the moods or the thoughts that come up, we can look at as visitors rather than as hosts. Oh, it's this. Mm. And then does this need to stay here or not? Is this part of this or not? And then the, that which is not part of it can pass through. And that which is another flower on the shrine can stay. So ways of opening up the the um, heart base, the chitta, which is the, uh, so it's not it's sensitive to the kusala, to wholesomeness, sensitive to fit to the the refuges and so forth. It's a spiritual practice rather than like some sort of technology. As we've been contemplating in the body, uh, sense of some spaciousness, and then developing spaciousness in terms of body, space around us, space within the body, um, feeling out the elements of the body, earth, air, fire, water, and where do they arise? How do they manifest? And being able to as we breathe or send our attention through the body, 
just taking some of the intensity from the elements and balancing them and bringing space into into our bodily experience the openness the the non-pressure so it doesn't necessarily space doesn't have to be an absolute thing it can be relative it means this was very tight now it's not so tight there's a little more space the weave is a little less tight here a little more porousness to the to the sense of the bodily form you know so you mixing space with the other elements so it takes away their intensity or their imbalance feeling through sensing the body and how all the bodily phenomena have the quality where they, they tend to pulse or vibrate they're not solid and this is a way in which a subtle form of space is this uh, rhythmic uh, quality it means things are not rigid and solid there's a certain diminution of pressure a subsiding and there's the ability to arise and, then, you know, and subside in fact that's what they all do all of the bodily tones do that the firmness, um, the softness, the fieriness, and so on. <coughs> the rhythm is a, uh, one of the other, so spaciousness is uh, one of the things we establish. Also, a rhythmic sense for what uh, the body is about, the way the mind operates, and the thoughts. And as you begin to just use a reference, like, what's the rhythm of this? It's a useful thing. We begin to uh, acknowledge how everything arises and passes. Um, there's an arising and subsiding. And in, in the subsiding, um, there's a spaciousness. And it, things subside into space. Things arise out of space. But the spaciousness actually goes along with them. <coughs> If there's mindfulness there, then we may, for example, notice um, you know, when breathing in and out, um, you know, the, the, after the end of the out breath, the physical sensations subside, and there can still be attention can still stay there with the subsiding of the physical sensations. And you come to the, the touch consciousness or the touchability is receiving nothing much more than its own um, own intelligence, its own sensitivity. So you get the sense of like an energy there, which is like the, the energy of consciousness, the sensitivity, um, it's as if the, your bodily awareness is, is reaching out like an open hand. There's nothing in it. You're feeling the space. And then the in-breath comes in. At the end of the in-breath, you may notice when the breathing, so that, that particular sensation, physical sensation, stop again, pause. So acknowledging within space, there's a, there's a particular energy. When your space is a connected space, it's not that you've gone somewhere else, you've spaced out, but you're really there, mindful with it. And 
you're able to pick up a particular quality of, of energy. Mm. It's there all the time, but normally other sensations which are stronger um, um, uh, make it less apparent. So, but the rhythmic uh, nature of experience helps one to discern that. It's in breathing, the obvious example, walking between one footstep and the next, even pauses in the thoughts or the words, the moments when an activity stops in a monastery and we're just sitting here and And of course the mind can skip that when it's not, doesn't understand, doesn't attune, hasn't attuned to rhythm, it goes into pace instead of rhythm. In other words, well, that's finished, now what next? Yeah. Next. It's a jumps. Um, and it's, it's often trained to do that. Don't hang around. <coughs> so, when you, particularly when you come to um, the public domain, space element um, is on the danger list, nearly extinct. <laughs> so you, know, you go to a, 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 you know, public <coughs> services or something like that, and people's way of talking eliminates space. It's just, you know, you come into the airport. Put your bags down. How many people are you checking in today, sir? Sorry? How many bags are you checking in today? <laughs> oh, you mean how many bags am I checking in today? <laughs> that's what I said, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's what I said, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, you know, because you've got to get on to the next one and be efficient. So people come out with these kind of things. Have a good day. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good day. <laughs> There was a kind of mass um, mass market and masses and thousands of people who were not really mindful. We can't actually manage to be mindful with that kind of inflow of, of contact too much. So instead you come out with the words, but you can tell the rhythm's not there, the mindfulness isn't there, spaciousness is not there, and the energy is frantic, or, or you know, people are either shut down or frenzied. So being able to, in one's life in a monastery, you know, acknowledge the putting things down, the stopping, the pausing, and not see that as, oh, what am I supposed to do? What's happening? What's going to happen next? Or has I done something wrong? Or just, oh, it's the space. And in that we may very well feel uh, the minds rocking around, uh, uncertainty, anxiety, or impulse. But then, okay, yeah. take the refuges immediately. <laughs> oh, you're safe, you're all right. Demons have gone away again. So, in, in the course in, in traditional Buddhism, 
you know, the model is cosmological rather than psychological. So they would say these, these uh, afflictive energies are, are demons and the host of Mara. And again, that's quite useful in its own way as its uses. We can then <coughs> relate to those energies rather than <coughs> feel them myself. The panic, the guilt, the shame, the hardness, the callousness uh, of heart can come up. Fearfulness. These kind of tormented beings. So, sometimes just breathing, learning to breathing out, and there's a tonality of breathing out, tonal quality of releasing, relaxing, letting go, liberating these tormented beings from consciousness. Breathing in, liberating those beings. Don't say, oh, I can't, I don't want, oh, I can't, it's impossible, it's too much. I can't, it's impossible, it's too much. Breathing in. (laughs) Breathing in. So, the different, you know, breathing in is letting go also in its own way. These are tonalities. Of course, we don't have to do this just through the breath. But the, the tonalities are significant, and breathing is one way that um, very much attunes the whole body, natural body rhythm to to the um, rhythmic tonalization of the mind to keep healing the mind. Walking is rhythmic, also. <coughs> Uh, energy, uh, which we begin perhaps to discern more when we've, through following the rhythmic process of things, begun to uh, penetrate or open up to the space where things subside, or between things, or out of which things arise. And it's... uh, certain vitality and truthfulness about the energy. <coughs> what I mean is that many times we have energy which is really more like adrenaline energy, like drug energy. You know, the body produces drugs in a state of panic. You get a, so the system will be sat, saturated. The only way we know how to raise energy is to you know, kick in with something like that. So we work on stress, on strain, on panic on compulsion, on you've got to, on fear, on shame, you know, you don't, you'll get, and this kind of thing, you get this kind of energy becomes a reactive charge, surging, a charge thing. So, for med- when people first begin to meditate, it can be very difficult finding uh, the right source of energy because the whole attitude towards energy has always been it's that which comes through that particular button being pushed. And in meditation, that button doesn't work anymore. Uh, but if we, so we can find something really dull or 
confused, I'm not being able to get galvanized around anything. <coughs> Again, it's a matter of what the refuge both represents and its attraction to us. It's a, you know, that which wants to be healed. And in this, in, if we are able to follow um, a rhythmic process, you know, feel it out. You can't conceive, you can't think rhythm, but your very thoughts occur rhythmically. Um, you know, so you're being with that process, or the physical processes of sensation. Then, you know, what carries them along is, is an energy. And when they subside, the, the, the energy, an energy remains there. It's, it's potent, it's latent, it may be quite still, and yet it's a bright state. And if we begin to unravel our reactions, out of that space comes uh, a responsive quality. So applied energy. Application comes from that place that spaciousness of mind. Hmm. We need to question here, or apply here. The four right efforts come from that place. To protect, to be patient, to sustain, to maintain. To tune in, going out of tune. Tune in, pick up. Relax. Let go. The four right efforts come from that. This is how, if you like, this subtle energy is also a, rec- a register of the virya uh, quality, the quality of application energy. So sometimes when <coughs> you know, people say meditation or spiritual practice, no effort is required. Any effort is is egotistical striving to become something and so on. Well, of course, it, it, it could be that. Maybe that wouldn't be such a bad thing in itself <laughs> rather than egotistically striving to become something else. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't, perhaps it wouldn't be such a bad thing. But true, true enough, um, at a certain level of of spiritual practice, it becomes an obstacle that's really a manifestation of our doubt, um, our our sense of being ill at ease with ourselves. So we're always trying to make things happen rather than allowing things to happen. Uh, It seems to me that very at the bottom of it lies the refuge quality, Uh, the need to embellish, enjoy, appreciate, uh, feel personally connected to a refuge. And then, if you like, the spaciousness, rhythmic sense come up and you're able to tune in to where energy arises, which is not coming from you know, the, the nervous, reactive, um, egotistical space. It's, it's a subtle form of responsiveness, um, which can be quite powerful and, and in ways much more um, 
unwavering because it's coming from truth rather than just an opinion or a reaction of some kind. So you can get an unwavering quality of commitment, patience, perseverance because it's just what we, what we really need to do now. And in the bottom of the mind, is that, that, that's the way it is. It just whatever you do, it brings up that response. You must, perseverance is not something I'm supposed to do. It's something I can't help but do because I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I can't not be. So I've got to be with it. And that means, you know, there's nowhere else to go. Uh, for, you see what I mean? I mean, obviously, on one level there is, but in terms of where my karma is occurring, right, to, to be with that, and so it sense of really persevering. So virya, one of the aspects of virya is true virya is literally um, tireless, because it's a sense, there's a sense of inevitability about it. It's coming from a, a sacred place that realizes, you know, you have to deal with your karma in this life or the next, or the next after that, you know, there's no tea breaks in, in samsara. <laughs> but if we consider energy something I've got to do all the time, oh goodness me, you know, you know half an hour is quite a struggle. And relent, untiring energies around. I must untiring energy. I feel really start to feel weak and dizzy. <coughs> very sound of it because it goes straight to that compulsion, adrenaline-soaked nervous system, which is just about worn out already through, through the amount of panic that's gone on it. So the wire is almost kind of shot already, and we start to put another lot of. of Charges down it, and something is oh no, I can't, no, I'm not gonna, I can't do this, I can't, I'm not gonna do this. Even if I could, I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't need any more of getting uptight and running around in circles and bashing my head against the wall, and getting upset and depressed with myself. I just don't need any of that. You know, I've done it already, been there. So then, naturally, no energy. You know, inspiration, you know. and so we can find ourselves just, you know, spinning out from from the whole possibility of of meditation, <coughs> endeavor, spiritual practice. So much of the words begin to make us feel uneasy. You know, meditation. How much meditation did you do today? Oh goodness! How good are you at meditation? Oh no! Have you got this yet? No, I haven't. <laughs> you know, and, and so on. So it's, because it just goes to the to the, to the place where, which isn't a refuge. There's no refuge in all that. It's only I feel very important. The only only the, the dumb only makes sense. Really makes sense uh, from. The point of view of having taken refuge and being in the refuge and if we lose the refuge our first du- pur- purpose and duty is to, is to get into that again find that again you know being where we are being alright to be where we are mm. 
turning to a Buddha, turning to awakening, enlightenment, to purity, to kindness, to compassion, turning to that. Just even just turning to it and being able to receive that and feel the blessing of um, the triple gem. Taking that into as a bodily experience, to be able to sit in a way which is upright, and yet the tonality of it is is, is at ease. And I feel unless we can, you know, do this with our bodies, then um, our meditation will always be thwarted and tendency to go to the wrong set of attitudes um, in order to develop practice or to allow practice to develop. So where is the energy now? Sometimes when we contact the frustrated, the demonic, the hungry ghosts uh, of the mind, they've got energy. They've captured it. So it's like getting it back from them, space, develop some space, then can I please have some energy back, demon, hungry ghost? So no, they deserve it. So sometimes it's it's the ability to, you know, develop the refuge around even the the, the frustrating, the tormented, the sense of compassion and listening. To so we come to the not to even to the topic that the thing's going on about, but just to its its vigor, its energy. Maybe it's it's. Um, Mind is rattling on, and it's that and the other. Now this isn't, and that isn't, and it should, and it wouldn't, and I can't, and all that. And you can feel, oh, well, this is really um, frightened, or panicked, or enraged, or mixtures of things. And you can feel the kind of charging of that energy in the chitta. Is it possible? Sometimes we just literally contact the energetic quality and skip the storyline or listen past the storyline it's almost just by tapping into that and sharing in that that the energy begins to transfer through non-resistance non-separation non-indulgence So in a way, this is gives one an, uh, quite an, a nice feeling for you know, the quality of refuge. Taking these things into the refuge place, which doesn't resist and doesn't believe in, doesn't follow, doesn't block, but it, it melts. Um, the, the 
frustrated forms away and the energy begins to be shared into um, make things available because at the bottom of it all the demons arise out of suffering um, <coughs> out of um, so and then when we contact just the very quality of suffering purely in itself that is the place that takes us to the place where there's the healing instinct so it's rather like you know as soon as you cut your finger your body starts mending it because your body knows that that's it but when you damage your mind your 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 um, heart in that way the damage is such that you don't really know you've damaged it or it's damaged you get caught in the blood flows and uh, and the pain and you don't go to where the tissue is it's rather like you know if I cut my finger and it bled all over the, the floor or something I started mopping up the floor rather than attending to the finger it wouldn't cure the wound would it it might be a good thing to do but the first thing to do perhaps is to staunch the flow and get the wound attend, let, attend to the wound and then clean up afterwards similarly with the mind you get these kind of splurges of stuff that is all you know stories and feelings and so forth but, but really to come back to you know the, the wound itself and to, to touch that uh, the healing starts to take place if, we, if we're able to touch it, and again using that metaphor quite, quite deliberately, in the way that one would touch something wounded, it starts to, the healing process begins to take place because it's quite natural. It doesn't take place when we're not in the right place, or the energy is not healing. It's it's irritated, it's all fix it, all shut up, or get out of the way, or don't be like that. That's not a healing quality. <coughs> so as you when you're developing don't mind me saying the word a meditation then you know it, using this physical form as a template as a ground as a resort yes, um, you know, when we contact disturbed places um, dull places numb places these are the these are the places that require the healing and it's always a, a bit of a uh, something you have to work with in, intuition and um, trying and seeing <coughs> in some ways one has to put a certain amount of stuff aside just in order to establish enough presence with the healthy bits you know, you've got to build up the resource hmm. the only drawback with, with that is if one becomes someone who can only bear to be with the healthy bits and keeps not sharing it with the unhealthy bits you know.
rather exclusive in, in, our, in our meditation. Or in our, you know, so you can become like that. The other extreme is when you, know, you don't actually give enough attention to the healthy bits, so you're very fully aware of the, the ill health and disease and the wounds, but one, one drowns in it. One doesn't actually have enough of the, the good side, the health, the vitality, the samadhi, to be able to bring around the kind of um, healing that's necessary. So a certain amount of stuff has to just be put to one side. Say, well, right, not right now. There is certainly meditation is a restrictive practice in that way. You know, you've got to build up the resource. So, <coughs> you know, meditation on the breath, for example, just attending along that pathway, breathing in, breathing out, and what comes up within that. Or may feel just meditating on the bodily presence, what happens around your neck or your chest or your belly or the heart or how embodied one feels, whether one feels really all here or not, tense or sleepy or bright. And getting that um, bodily presence grounded and settled and then beginning to work on the, uh, the places which feel out of sync, out of touch. Yeah. And the healing remedy is first of all space, establish a quality of space, spaciousness around that, and then uh, tuning into it, so the, you know, the rhythmic quality of what's occurring, the pulse of it, the beat of it, the heart of it. So, kind of Dhamma Vijaya spiritual inquiry is something that attunes to to the um, the tonality of experience. And then finding or having access to the, the healing energy, bringing the, two, the healing heart, bringing the two together. So that's a uh, um, compassion, naturally. Developing anapanasati, then I recommend the the long long breathing in, breathing out long, breathing in, breathing out short. The way that the breath, uh, the physical breath, begins to move from uh, quite a long, and one it wants to make it as fully long as it wants to be, so that you can feel the whole body from the abdomen up to the the nose the whole breath trackway, the physical parts that are affected by the breath, you can sense them all. And you can sense the full you know, duration of a breath. It just doesn't stop. You can feel it have its completion and subside. <coughs> so it's as if you like opening up the bodily channel. <coughs> and that means one's attention One's body, one's bodily, um, one's body is, is healthy then, you know, in that sense, and open, and your attention is, is stretched to cover it all. You know, extending attention span. When the breath then calms, becomes shorter and calms down, you find you have a much, you have a longer attention span than the physical 
sensations and your attention is going to begin to pick up what happens at the end of the breath. Like you're, you've got a bigger attention span and a bigger um, or a subtler tonal receptivity than is just used up by the physical qualities of breathing. So then you begin to experience a much kind of wider um, sensitivity within which the breath itself becomes just quite short, or the physical breath becomes a short or shallow or relatively light experience. And yet, the overall quality of the mind is, if anything, even more strong and uh, steady and um, attentive than before. And this is what gives rise to the experience of rapture. Rapture means there's enough, because there's bonding, there's enough free energy to just express itself. You know, you're not, the mind is not just taken up with trying to hold on to an object. There's some free energy there. So, you know, so that's experience as a kind of bright state of rapture. Uh, and then one can then say, experience the, the subtle uh, quality of the of both of that of that brightness and the mm, energy of the, goes along with breathing through the whole of the bodily sphere you know, whole of bodily consciousness all aspects of the body that you're conscious of which become something that's much more um, in some ways amorphous than the physical form and yet it's all it's in a subtle body. So then there is energies there. And then you, ca- you can calm all of the rhythms and pulses and you know, whatever occurs within the body, in that bodily sense. You can bring that, that collected samadhi energy to bear upon that. And it, healing, pasambayam, is calming smoothing out, tranquilizing. I'd also suggest it's something like uh, has a healing quality to it. <coughs> this is uh, rapture and ease uh, and samadhi. Mm. So you see how uh, enlightenment factors um, are born from the refuge place through as as uh, a response to being you know incarnate if you like being embodied and they're they're a natural response to that we have to develop spaciousness to be here with this rather than just be bounced around by it um, of course the last factor equanimity is if you like the the you know the end result of of the mm, serenity uh, oceanic a very wide spread out bright even tone of um, non struggling and, and uh, um, seeing the way things really are. So as we practice. Today, just being, being able to um, ex- tune into to the body, the breathing, the walking, standing. You're specifically looking into Anapanasati, the long breathing, short breathing, 
when the breath, which isn't trying to make it short, just the noticing the breath will tend to calm down, become subtler, and then the whole uh, bodily tone, and then being able to breathe through or send the um, calming energy through the whole bodily tone. <coughs> And if nothing else works, then take refuges immediately and liberally and continually. <coughs> <coughs>